and welcome to Wait Hold Up Podcast with Yarel Ramos and Jessica Molina, your new besties. Hi. Hola. Each week, tune in as we have unfiltered conversations about careers, relationships, wellness, feminism, and of course, we'll often be joined by guests you either know or should know who will share their humor, knowledge, and their very own Wait Hold Up moments with us. Here at Wait Holds Up, we want you to feel like you found your crew, your girls who you can do life with. Listen, it's a crazy world out there, and we can all use some help in our efforts to live our best lives. We don't have all the answers, but we're down to figure it out together. Thanks for listening. Here's our latest episode of Wait, Wait Hold, Hold Up. Up. Everybody. What's up, beautiful people? Welcome back. Our WHU crew. Our WHU crew. What's going on? <laughs> uh, Yarel, how are you feeling I'm today? doing well. It's been a crazy last few weeks. I know. You were least. just in Miami. I was in Miami, and then it was the World Cup, and then it was elections, and Mexico and California, so it feels like you know a lot's been a lot going on. A lot's on. been going on. A lot I know, going on, keeping you busy, keeping me busy with work. Um, but I know it's been a lot of fun for you as well because you got back from Portugal. Oh my God, Portugal was amazing. I I'm been the most annoying person because I've literally been telling everyone to go to Portugal and why they should go to Portugal. So if Portugal wants to sponsor our next episode, hey, the, tr- <laughs> the Tourism Bureau, and maybe wants to send us out there, like, yo, what's good? Call uh, me. Yo falo portugues uh, un poquinho. Ooh. Oh, 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 I can't believe that just came. Bomb. <laughs> I, I really don't know anything except like, obrigada. That's all you need. That's it. That's all Just you need. Just be polite and say thank you. Um, but I'm actually really excited to be back because we haven't recorded an episode in over a month. Like I know. I know we had an episode go live a couple of weeks ago, but that was a pre-recorded one and... We haven't really had some time to just sort of check in, you and I. So this is nice. I think I really, I missed you. I miss you too. And I I also miss talking to everybody, talking to our listeners and having this connection. I know it's been like a weird transition always. I don't know if it's the time or it's the energy that's just been going around where Mm -hmm. things have been kind of feeling a little off. And I know you and I have been talking about or had been talking about restructuring um the podcast right yes like yes. giving it a little different take on a little flair yeah so it's like we definitely in this month or so that we were down um just living our lives uh we also were talking about how we can really improve the podcast and give you guys more of what I think what we've been getting a sense of what you want and right. that is that we're going to continue to interview amazing people who are on their grinds and learn their weight holds up moments but we also want to infuse more of like a personal element I right. think that some of the episodes that have been the most impactful in terms of what we've heard from you guys is like when we talked about not being married or not having kids and when we talked about wombs and when we really talked about our own personal journeys um, because we're all just trying to figure this out together. So you'll probably exactly. notice there was a new introduction to this episode. Oh, yeah. That was part of our rebranding, re-strategizing. We want this to feel more of like a lifestyle 
political space where there's a lot more that you can come to. Um, and we're definitely for. still going to talk about political things, political yeah. issues and current events and pop culture and this like intermix of everything that right. obviously is a huge influence in our lives mm-hmm. and our community and things that affect us. But, you know, we just want to give it like a you know that because that's what it's like to be a I feel like a woman right now it's like we care obviously about what's going on there's no way that we cannot we have a heart that beats we you know it there has been so much that has happened in the past few weeks that it almost feels like disheartening every single time but it's like how do we navigate that world where we're hearing about the horrible things happening and then at the same time um, be there for ourselves and with what life brings our way other than what's going on in politics right. and the news and everything like that. So we want to just find that space together and explore that with you guys. And so our guests are also going to really be exploring that as well um, with us. And we're going to continue to have some of that career advice in there. But I think it's also going to be other people who are bringing their experiences that, you know, when you learn from your homegirls about like their it's experiences. The best. It absolutely is the best. Yeah. It opens your eyes to so many things that you never thought of, new perspectives, and that's what we... we and then it channels now. also, like, things in you that you're sometimes not even comfortable speaking about yeah. or in, or telling your friends about or sharing yeah. to other people. So, you know, that's we love the so feedback, true. and we love uh, all the comments that you've been leave, leaving up for us on all social and our Facebook. Uh, so please let us know. You know, continue <laughs> to tell us. Salud. I know. Salud. <laughs> I was trying to avoid that sneeze, but it was like, I'm coming. Dios la bendiga. Thanks, boom. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. What she said. Keep yeah, support, yeah. Keep, so, keep you know, just just thank you so much because it honestly has been coming from, yeah. from all of you listening and all these ideas and all these uh, things that you've been uh, bringing up. Yeah. Lately, so. And, you know, and speaking about what you're saying about um, when you hear stories that you maybe have never been comfortable talking about yourself, that's actually what's um we're really going to get into in this episode so i do want to do to preface this episode with um a warning we are going to be talking about sexual abuse rape um violence towards women um so just you know i don't know i don't know who's listening right now and if that's something that you're that is really going to hurt you or affect you trigger um, something trigger something Please, you know, maybe this isn't the episode right now or maybe you don't want to listen to it at this moment, given whoever's in the car with you or whatever it may be. But um, I just wanted to put that out there. So now that that's been said, I had the opportunity to interview Rosie Rivera and... Yet, unfortunately, wasn't able to come with I me. I know. I'm kind of bummed. Yeah. I, I was. I was really bummed. Missed. I know. So Rosie, for those who don't know, is the sister of the late singer Jenny Rivera. Right. And Rosie has an incredible, incredible story. And she is an entrepreneur of her own. She's a motivational speaker. She's an author. Um, she's really a woman who does. She's so, a mom. She's a mom. She does so much. And a lot of, you know, in 2016, she revealed in a in her first book that she was raped when she was eight years old um, by Jenny Rivera's husband right. um, and held that secret for many years. So uh, in this conversation, we're going to learn about the secret that she held, the trauma that she experienced, um, how she healed 
from this experience um and really you know what what her relationship was like with Jenny even she was very honest about that experience of, of telling her and you know and and we didn't just, just keep it focused on that we also talked about her relationship with her husband and about her work as the executive of uh, Jenny's estate but also about you know what she misses about her sister and oh, all of that so it was I'm so excited dude, to hear this I mean there was definitely a moment where I felt like I saw some tears come into her eyes there were absolutely tears in yes. mine there were multiple times where I got chills and it was just like one of those conversations where you have with someone and you're just like this is you this is so beautiful and also I appreciate your authenticity and your honesty because this these were not easy topics for us to discuss at all and after I left that interview I was just like damn this is one strong amazing amazing woman so I hope that you all feel the same way let's hear it let's get it What's up, everybody? It's Jessica, and today I'm writing solo. Yarel is busy working, doing her thing, but that's okay because I've got a guest who I'm very excited to speak with, and I'm excited to introduce y'all to. I am here with Rosie Rivera. She's an entrepreneur, a philanthropist, a motivational speaker, TV personality, and the host of her own podcast alongside her husband called The Power of Us. In February 2016, she published her first book, My Broken Pieces, Mending the Wounds from Sexual Abuse Through faith family and love and today she's gonna come and keep it real with us on the pod what's up Rosie thank hey, you for joining uh, us thank you for having me uh, it's such a pleasure first of all when I am reading about you there's kind of like nothing that you don't do <laughs> your life is full of so many amazing things that you're doing in you. your community and in your space and did you feel like you knew right away how you wanted to devote your time and your energy or has this been a journey into you coming into who you are as a woman? Yeah, no, I was lost for so long. I was lost not knowing my purpose or what I was supposed to do. I fought being in the media so long mm -hmm. that I was willing to do anything but media. So at 13, I think I decided I was going to be an attorney and I just went full force really probably for the wrong reasons. I love to read and I love the law and it all intrigues me, but I was going more to punish someone. Mm. So after when I became a single mom and I was in law school I kind of realized like this isn't me anymore now what and that's when I really started to think about what do you really want to do with your life and that's when I started going my own way and really discovering who Rosie was and but that was about at 25 mm -hmm. and then when my sister passed away um, I had to start all over mm -hmm. because she catapulted me into the media that I really didn't want to be in. And I fought it for like two or three years of just like, nope, I'm not going to do interviews. This isn't my life. I'm living someone else's life. I don't want to be on TV. And and then once I realized like, you know what, this is your life. I'm not going to fight it anymore. Yeah. Then I started to be free and be happy. So now with everything that I've done, whether it hasn't been the most successful or I didn't like it, at least I could say I tried it mm -hmm. until I really find who I am. But have you found that because I find it to be challenging to try things in front of an audience oh, where they can catch your Seriously. failures. So your audience is a bajillion times bigger than any platform I've been put in front of so far. So how do you deal with sort of that putting yourself out there and not having what you want to be amazing come to fruition? It's still tough. I mean, you I've always fought with being a people pleaser yeah. to begin with oh, since I was a yes. child. So um, 
being no matter how old you get I think you sometimes have the same battles and I've won most of them I could say but even sometimes then when I put up a picture and you don't get all the likes that you want or people don't see the red carpet outfit the way you saw mm-hmm. it even then it still gets to you but I really have to come back to me I turn off all my social media I turn off all the opinions I really find a way to turn off all the noise and be like okay why did you choose this dress again oh because you just felt good in it and then I'm like okay then I don't care so it, it is scary and I definitely did didn't want it but I thank God that before I got catapulted by my sister I had already been saved by God so that's when my identity started mm-hmm. at 25 so I was really I had like 10 years of privacy of figuring out who Rosie was and what she loved and what her passion was mm-hmm. so by the time I was in a public platform um, it still bugs and I still get annoyed more than anything but then I remember like nope this is who I am they could take it or leave it yeah. and some people do and when they leave it's better than having a hater in your space so I'm like okay I'd rather have you leave yeah I actually really want to touch on that people pleaser element that you're yeah. talking about because I also suffer from that same issue seriously and how do you find a way to not be so focused on being a people pleaser but also not being like a a straight up bitch to right right because I find that people who are used to you sort of saying yes the moment you start saying no yep it's like well why are you being so nasty yeah seriously but you said no forever and you were never considered nasty right exactly well I I learned a couple things you can't really really please people Mm -hmm. it's more of a it's their issue a lot of humans most humans are just selfish so even when they're mad at you it's sometimes a more personal issue within them so I try and remember that like I'm not going to take it personal it's really more about you if you really got mad at what I said whether it's it's my stance on whatever it may be politics then why are why are you really getting this mad when it's just my opinion I'm not that important in your life so I try and really keep focus on that in that I don't try I don't take things too personal but I also learned that I really truly live to please God because he's stable Mm -hmm. where all of us fluctuate someone can love you one day and hate you another or totally 100% for you and then um, betraying you the next so I have to say there they can't be my my measuring stick because they're so unstable including myself so God is stable so I stay there but one thing I really learned because I was a people pleaser I wanted to be extra nice Mm -hmm. I was like being nice is great. Everyone likes a nice girl, right? right? And I'm not. I'm I'm internally like just a very like, you know, chill. I don't smile too much. I'm not overly happy. I'm not bubbly. I'm not that social butterfly everyone wants to see. I'm definitely not my sister or like cheekies. And people start comparing. Yeah. So I really learned to say, you know what, Rosie? I'm not supposed to be nice. Not everyone is nice. What Mm. I am supposed to be is kind. And that's different. So you could say no, just say it kindly. It all comes in the way that you say it. And if you're really saying, you know what, I, I won't go to your to your party why you know what I really want to spend time with my kids I love you and I'm glad that you're doing this and hooray for you and I'm really proud of you but I really need to stay home with my kids so when you're when you're kind rather than nice um I think people really start to respect Mm. you and that I'm I'm standing firm to what I believe in whether you know so I, I think that's what helps me is to know that I'm not supposed to be nice or cute I'm just supposed to be me but and when I say no just stand firm with it yeah, and kind allows you to hold on to that authenticity. Right. That nice sometimes, 
yeah. doesn't allow. Because then you could be a pushover. Yeah. I've noticed sometimes people are so nice that they become pushovers. And I think that I lived frustrated being a pushover or keeping everything silent. And really people, people pleasing kind of made me bitter because mm. I felt like I'm there for you, but you're not there for me. Right. So I just really had to get my priorities straight within me and say, if I'm going to say yes, it's really a yes. Mm -hmm. And if it's a no, I'd rather give you a no and have you be mad at me than be fake with you. Right. And then you find your real friends and those people are worth having conversations mm -hmm. with. So my circle became a lot smaller. Yeah. Um, but then I, my, my relationships were much richer. But I think then, then that also, I mean, obviously you're speaking about your friend circle, the people who know you, but then also in your, your social media presence as well, that gives you an authenticity that people who are tuning into you really want to see as well. Right. And even with, say, for example, my following isn't as great as I wish it would be. I mean, I have my sister has like, I don't know how many millions and Chiquis has millions. And just to be honest, you want to be on that same level mm -hmm. in that sense to be like, I can't wait to get to the one million to the two million. But then I go back and I say, do I want a million people that just hate on me right. or that are just going to be contentious and bring bad energy into my life? So I'm like, no, I want I have 700,000 followers but they're they're followers and maybe there's some haters in there but even then I'm like I'm not going to photoshop my pictures I yeah. you know my husband takes my pictures and he posts them up and sometimes I'm like yeah I look chubby but I'm gonna leave it because I'd rather have someone see someone real because if they see the outside real then my message is considered real I am very um focused on giving the message that you know what there's healing after sexual abuse but if I'm editing my pictures and you know that I'm lying about my looks then how are you going to believe my message right so I have to stay focused on that when mm -hmm. yes I want everyone to love my pictures and think I'm beautiful but I'm I'd read, rather just stay authentic and have them believe my message and how did you bravely come into the power of talking about your story and your past of sexual abuse I kind of stumbled into it, just mm -hmm. to be honest. Um, I swore when I was like nine, you make these vows to yourself when you're in distress, that I was never going to tell. And for different reasons. I wanted to protect my sister. I wanted to protect my mom's heart. I wanted to protect my brothers from killing the guy. So I was always protecting someone else and mm -hmm. finding myself very unprotected. I yeah. wasn't taking care of me. So when I was 16, I just decided one day, I, I think because my sister's abuser was threatening to take the kids away mm. and it's so funny because he kind of did himself in the sense that he threatened me when I was nine to kill Jenny mm. so I lived with that fear of oh my god Jenny can die like at nine I was thinking of death and it just it took over me so my whole life I was just afraid she'd die my whole life wow. so when I was 16 he he put out another threat that to her was like her dying. She's like, I can't live without my kids. I can't. And I saw her freak out saying, he can't take away my kids. And I don't want to go to court. And I'm scared. So I said, sister, I got you. And I told her. And obviously she didn't know. And this came to a huge shock to her. I, I mean, to this day, I remember um, telling her. And the thing is, I didn't even tell her. I think mm. God is so amazing in that the universe conspires in your favor. That when I decided in sixth period at, my, at high school, today is the day. I just walked right into her office and she's like, there's something wrong with you, huh? I said, yeah. I, all I had to say was yes and no. Basically, she asked all the right questions and she asked, is someone hurting you? And that was the moment I decided to be honest because she, sometimes people ask you, you okay? Mm -hmm. And you just say, oh, I'm fine. Right. But that day I decided to be honest. And I think it was because the passion and the love that I had for her forced me not forced me um persuaded me pursued me to tell her yeah and and I think that's what it is it's it's love 
love that really really moves me as a person and I think moves all of mm -hmm. us so my love for her in that case for the kids protecting them from living with the pedophile pushed me to tell her and then that was at 16 I never spoke about it again because yeah. you think oh I speak about it and I'm good I wasn't good I went into a deeper depression you speak your biggest secret and then you see that nothing changes and that that's kind of devastating and at the time too. you only told her well everyone found out okay we okay. told my mom she screamed so loudly that people I'm not kidding you people from across the street heard her and she was eight months pregnant I know bad timing but it was just I, I took it the moment that I said I'm going to do it. I knew I was like, ah, oh, the baby. But I said, I'm just going to do it. She's going to be fine. She was pregnant with Jenica. And she screamed so loud that everyone thought she's having the baby. Oh, yeah. So they went and they're like, what is wrong? And she was like literally on her knees, like just crying. And um, it, I we kind of just told everyone like, Rosie just kind of came out with her secret and um so everyone found out at that time and we made a police report and he was a fugitive of the law for the nine mm. years so when you don't get justice I think that shuts you down again you figure when I speak my my big secret everyone is supposed to change I'm supposed to feel better and I didn't mm -hmm. so it was another nine years of chasing after this guy everyone wanted to kill him I felt I had to protect him. It was so weird. It was just the biggest battle that I was still, my, my family really tried to help me, but it's hard sometimes to let people in. Mm -hmm. So then when the Lord saved me at 25, he literally saved me like from the streets. I was like a drunk, an alcoholic. I was a single mom, but not a good mom. I was always leaving her to go party and stuff. I was just, I was just a wreck and I was suicidal and he mm -hmm. found me in the streets. So when you get that close to wanting to die, mm -hmm. And you find life, mm. you're like, I'm really going to live my life. Like, I'm not going to live this scared girl anymore. I am not that same eight-year-old. I am bold. I am strong. I am going to be who I want to be. Mm -hmm. And I became who I wanted to be. I became the girl that I had wished had spoken to me. So I always have her in mind, the little eight-year-old, nine-year-old girl afraid for her life of the next sexual encounter, looking at TV saying, I wish someone would talk about it. If mm. one, one person on TV would talk about it, I wouldn't feel so alone. So I remember that feeling and say, Rosie, you're going to be that girl for whoever. And, and that passion and that love for my sisters, I call us sisters in pain, for my sisters in pain um, catapulted me to say, you know what? People are going to think what they want to think. I don't care. Mm -hmm. And I think that helps me in every other area in my life. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, what's interesting is that we're talking about this was someone that you knew, your yeah. abuser, right? right. Mm -hmm. And that is unfortunately, statistically, actually, right. you're more likely to know your abuser. Yes. Um, and there are so many individuals who are afraid to tell because you had people who believed you when you said right. this, which is amazing. But how many women and men out there have told and no one in their family wants to believe them? Right. It's it's the it's so damaging that when I went to therapy, my therapist told me that if your parents don't believe you, the same amount of damage is done. It's not the equal amount of damage because someone's sexually assaulting you is different than someone not believing you but in your heart it's the same exact mm -hmm. damage because you figure my parents not owe me something but we have a connection they're supposed to believe me um it's just as damaging and you find yourself having to forgive them mm. and go through the process of healing with the people that didn't believe you or even worse i've heard stories i've heard all types of stories of people that do believe you but tell you just don't say anything mm. to protect them to protect the family to so that they don't have to go to jail just don't say anything get over it and and you know no one gets no one else gets hurt so you feel like then my pain isn't valid 
And all that is really just a lie. I tell people it probably is going to break your family apart. Like, I'm very honest. Like, you know what? Your pro- your family might split, but you're worth it, and you didn't cause this. Mm-hmm. That person caused it. So when your family's a mess, you you must stay firm and say, my healing is worth it. And mm-hmm. hopefully the family can one day come back together or they can agree to disagree, whatever it may be, but that person has to search for their healing. So I've known girls that kind of have like um, – a separation you could say from their family for a little bit until they heal and then they come back and step into the environment again saying mom I know you didn't believe me or I know you didn't want me to speak about it but I got my healing and now we can have a relationship it does take a few years but that person is feels so much better after what do you think has been the hardest part about the healing process that you've experienced or that other women have come to talk to you about I would say two things. Um, one is forgiving the abuser. Mm-hmm. I think that's the hardest thing. It's It took time for me. It took, I hated him for 18 years. So then you get used to the hate mm-hmm. and it becomes a part of you. So to, to all of a sudden go from thinking of how to kill this man every day to wishing well for him, it was just, it baffled my mind. It was just, I couldn't understand. Um, and it took me a good like three intense months of like, crying out and saying things like just bless him God or do your will in him or I let him go and I release him to you things that I would literally have to say out loud so it was three months by the time I saw him again though I didn't hate him and it felt so good I saw him be arrested. I was I got the the chance the opportunity to see him in handcuffs and I didn't I didn't have victory like oh you're gonna hurt now it was more like whoa like I am important to God, to this justice system, to my family. So it really, it got me a lot of um, healing and release. But I didn't hate him. And that felt really good to know, like, I, I don't have to be a hateful mm-hmm. person. So that's one one thing is not hating your abuser and forgiving them. Um, but two would be really knowing the depth of how loved I am. Mm-hmm. So it's recovering your identity again. That becomes really, really hard. I... I thought that eight-year-old Rosie died, that mm. I was never going to meet her, that I would never know what she would have been like, that I I lost something forever in that moment. And, and you do for a while. But if you really put the work into it, because it takes work, healing is a choice and a responsibility. Once you put that work in, I'm just so happy that I get to see her. Like, mm-hmm. I really know her. And, and with everything that I am, good, bad, like everything, I've known that Rosie, who she would have been. But it's so hard to find your identity because you don't know, okay, I, ha- I have a strong character. Does it come just naturally or did it come because I'm defensive and I feel like I had to protect myself? Right. So it's like finding out like, okay, are you reacting to a trauma or are you really, you know, you just, you have a strong character. And I've seen, seeing my family, I'm like, I think I would have had it anyway. Yeah. Get me like all my family, like, well react crazily we're all passionate <laughs> and we'll fight anyone it in the street the so I'm thinking I probably would have been like that anyway so I learned to love myself yeah you know and I know that you're heavily involved in your church I grew up in the church my dad was a pastor for many years and one of the things that I think you know I was checking out some of your sermons um and and I the one that I read that you recently did that I stumbled upon was you which was denim day in your church yeah. and it was talking about sexual abuse in the church or not just in the church necessarily but you used the this the pulpit the stage right. to actually have this conversation yeah and you started the message by talking about the taboo and how the church 
wants to talk about everything. We want to talk about faith. We want to talk about healing. We want to talk about love, compassion. Yeah, we're but we everywhere. don't want to talk about the abuse. Yep. That is that that the church cannot say that it is completely um, free from. Right. No. You know. I mean, if 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 there's one in four girls being sexually abused, mm. some of them are in there. Mm-hmm. So, or even worse, if there's so many pedophiles then some of them are in the church too, both men and women. Of course. And because we have a relationship with God or an assignment from God does not mean that people don't screw up. And Mm -hmm. some of them have screwed up badly in the church and the way we've handled it. We have to start taking responsibility because sexual abuse affects your family, your city, your culture, your nation. And the church has such a big part in all those areas. Mm -hmm. But if we're not handling the one thing that's destroying us, then the church, both Catholic, Christian, any, any church, any religion has to take responsibility and say, if I haven't acknowledged this, Mm -hmm. then I have fault in it. Because the biggest weapon that an abuser can have is your silence. Mm -hmm. But if we're silencing our children, then we're kind of... We're complicit. Yes, allowing them to do this. So I... I mean, we just had this secrets conference and it's a sexual assault awareness conference inside the church. And the first thing we talked about was sex. I Mm. mean, and it's on YouTube now. And we talked about things that so many people... I mean, about being addicted to pornography, about... um, Uh, sexual identity confusion Mm -hmm. like do I like boys do I like girls do I like this do I like that you know from usually when you're sexually abused you could be addicted to porn by nine you could like your body calls out for it and so many people hate themselves because their body loved something that their heart hated Mm. and that just loss and disconnection and trying to figure out like why do I like this well because it feels good and your body doesn't know it was your uncle your body doesn't know it was like your dad so you have to like so many people go with that self-hate so I'd rather have the church hate me than have another human hate themselves Mm. anymore Mm -hmm. so I I'm really glad that I have a church that supports me that feels just as passionate about the subject because i've literally been told like don't talk about that anymore what was the response after that day so many people were set free so many people just said thank you because now i know we battle with the same thing and just to know we battle with the same thing we can win these battles together i'm not alone and some people were really healed and some people really admitted um issues that they're having battles that they're having and it stayed very private but we pray for each other and we can text each other and say hey you know what i'm having this issue can you pray for me and uh, so it was a really awesome response from from people. I don't know what other pastors have said. I don't I don't even notice because just seeing people released and healed and set free. That's what's going to keep motivating. me. Right. Well, you know, it's been a very, I think, interesting time within the right within the Christian community because you also have politics and if you think about what happened in Alabama with Roy Moore and you still had people who were like the heads of their churches defending someone who was being like out who people were calling a pedophile and you have this disconnect you're like guys we we cannot continue as people of faith and just because we want to fill a seat right that's not gonna work like we need to be able to stand up for the things that we're telling other people. If we're going to be morally pure, right. which none of us are, right. but if we're going to try to be, then we have to, have to at least set an example. Yeah. 
And I think that so many people that are sexually abused already feel abandoned. Yeah. I don't know why there's this just abandonment issue that a lot of us have. So to know that your church abandons you kind of makes mm. you feel like God abandoned me. And I don't want anyone to ever feel that. Like, I always apologize for the church. Maybe the church has failed you. Mm. And not only people sexually abused, the church has, has failed so many communities, like the gay community or, um, you know, the homeless community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll go to Skid Row. And, and, but when they want to come into our church, oh, we can't. Like, oh, right. he smells. Like, mm -hmm. oh, he's not really going to give a tithe. Like, so we kind of kindly push people away. Yeah. And that makes, and I don't want anyone to ever feel that God pushed them away. Mm. So I will talk about topics that no one else will because you never know if there's that one person that you can really reach out to them and say, hey, God loves me with everything that you are, man. And that that's what drives my heart. That's awesome. And now you are the mom of a teenage daughter <laughs> and you clearly don't try to pretend as if these these ailments of the world don't exist. Right. So what is your conversation with her on the regular, especially now as we're seeing the Me Too movement take over Hollywood and even now everyday offices? Uh, what has your conversation with her been about your past and about her, you know, in dating and those whole experiences? It has really helped us to have an open conversation. Mm. Um, one thing that a lot of people tell me is that 70% of the youth leaves the church mm -hmm. because they think they just found the real world. So I took that into consideration and I said, I don't ever want my, my daughter to feel that I'm not real. I think more important than me looking good to her, which you do want to be the great parent and the perfect parent and never mess up. I'd rather have her have the real parent. Yeah. So since she was a child, we just openly talked about topics. One, I needed her to know that mommy was going to defend her no matter who touched her. I would defend her. So that was one. Um, and two, I really wanted her to be in touch with her identity. Mm. So every every little thing from allowing her to choose her outfit in the morning to talking about who can touch her and where. We've had these conversations since she was four. And it's all based on their age. You, yeah. know, you know, you don't have to use the word sex to talk about sex. It can just be body. Like, oh, you know. Um, so we've had conversations. I mean, she asked me at five what, what sex was. And by seven, she was asking me what gay was. Mm -hmm. and I told her you know and, mm -hmm. and you just tell them and I'd rather me tell her because my intention is correct and my heart is correct I might not always have the the answer and I'll let her know like baby I don't know but let's ask um and it's it's just been so great because she can she can talk to me about mm -hmm. boys she likes and I was just telling her right now you know like oh I dated an Italian once and you know she's like yeah. really I want you know <laughs> and we can genuinely have that conversation and she can be open with me and she's become very mature um, before I spilled my guts in my book, I had to tell her because mm. I didn't want her to hear it from me from an altar or someone else. So I've, I've started telling her and I'm like, Hey, you know, this is my story. I'm going to tell the world and I'm going to tell the world your, your story and my and your dad's story because her daddy and I broke up when I was pregnant. So I'm like, I don't want to embarrass your daddy. I'm not going to say his name but it is my story to tell. And she said, go for it, mom. Mm. So asking them for permission to, not permission, but bringing them into the decision process of how much we're going to tell really validates that they are part of the journey. So she she is part of this journey just by being my daughter. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there's also something empowering for her because now she feels a sense of ownership over herself yeah. that 
a lot of us as we're teenage girls and just sort of figuring out our bodies and mm-hmm. our and wanting to be liked and what we uh, what's per, what we allow to happen mm-hmm. because we're in that space where we're like I don't know if, if do I want this I, right. I can't figure it out yeah. and then also not being able to have anybody to talk to about that right so with, when she asks me a question um, and I think I know the answer like oh do you do you think she's a good friend or that guy do you think you know and I sometimes want to tell her like, no, straight out. No, Mm. I don't think she's good for you or that guy. I can't because she's 15 now and in three years she's going to be 18. I can't continue to make her decisions for her. I stopped making a lot of decisions for her. The older she gets, the less decisions I make. Now I'm, I'm guiding her. I'm allowing her. I'm giving her the grace to fail because if she fails now while she's in my house, I can pick her up. I can lift her up. I can fix the issue for her when she's in college. I'm not going to be there. And if she falls, she's going to have to know by herself how to pick herself up. So right now she has that grace to fail, to make mistakes. Um, and I, I'm not her friend per se. I can't be her friend yet. I, we have a lot of friend moments. Mm-hmm. We we do things that friends do, but she knows that right now I'm her guide and I'm still her discipline and I'm still teaching her about boundaries and I can't wait to get to that friend stage when we are talking about marriage and kids and stuff. But I, I she knows the place that she has and that I have. I just happen to think that I'm cool while I'm doing it. I don't know if she thinks I am, but I think I am. And um, and it really helps that I married someone younger. Yeah. I know everyone hated it. My husband is 10 years younger and everyone hated it at the time and she even hated it. But now he really helps me raise her mm. in the sense that the music that she's hearing and I don't get anymore and I never thought I'd get there because I'm like, I'm so... I'm like, I don't know this broccoli stuff or this wax stuff. <laughs> My husband helps me because he's right in between. He's like, yeah. okay, baby, this is what wax is. I'm like, oh, okay, got it. Um, so it it became a really nice dynamic to where she, we're not disconnected. Yeah. Actually, that is um, going into your husband and the age difference. <laughs> so how long ago did you guys get together? Mm, not... <sighs> We got married seven years ago. It's going to be seven years in July. And we started dating nine years ago. Okay. So that also goes back to that people-pleasing element. Mm-hmm. How were you able to tune out the voices that were telling you, no, don't do it? Well, for, I couldn't tune out my own voice. Mm-hmm. For me, it was really hard. It was just the opposite of everything I wanted in the sense that I've always liked older men. Mm-hmm. And I really had to figure out why I was dating this younger man. I kind of fell into it. I obviously didn't plan it. Um, it was a very weird situation. Um, and nobody liked it, obviously. So that made it even harder. But for a year, I fought it. I fought it of like, nope, I'm not going to be with him. It's a no. And and he wouldn't go away for the life of me. And I would just beg him, please go away. Like, I can't be in this relationship. And he'd be like, why? I'm like, it's too weird. To who? Well, to everyone else. And when I noticed that that's the reason I was mm. pushing this good guy away, I'm like, am I really going to do that? I'm going to end up marrying him. People won't care in two years, but I could possibly lose the love of my life to please people that are going to be out of my life and yep they're gone like the people that are left are my family and now that they've gotten to know him and the, the years have passed and it seems a little bit more normal and they see what I saw now they're like dude Abel's a great guy Abel's perfect for you man no one else could put up with your life or your purpose or your personality the way this guy can Mm -hmm. and I had dated a lot and that helped knowing that I, I genuinely dated a lot so I knew 
so sort of what was out there for me yeah and I had met the great guy I had met like the famous baseball player that had money and I'm like no he was empty inside we had nothing Mm. in common like the the dream perfect guy and then I met the pastor and I'm like like he doesn't go with me either and I you know just I met everything and this was the one guy I connected with mm-hmm. and that's what I grabbed onto. and oh so horrible I mean my church hated it my family hated it my friends hated it they'd all thought it was disgusting but I knew that there was something there and I grabbed onto that so after that one year when I finally just said I'm gonna make this decision I'm gonna live with it and I really really took it to God and when I felt the green light from him we went for it and it's it's been a crazy ride because marriage is marriage in itself is an adventure but the age difference is like 10 percent of our issues yeah other issues have been bigger issues mm-hmm. so the age thing wasn't as big as people thought it would be right and it's also it's one of those like this is you got to go home with him yeah right it's like yes. but people have such a desire to to voice their opinion seriously in your life I tell people like how much do you value your opinion that you just give it away like Mm. me I genuinely value my opinion so I don't give it away unless someone asks right when you ask then be ready because I'm going to give you my opinion Mm -hmm. but if you don't ask I'm just you know and that's why I tell people too like thanks for your opinion but I didn't ask for it Mm. and I've learned to say that and again it seems so rude but I have to let people know like thank you but no thank you like you don't always have to voice it and I'm just I'm really really glad that I decided to stay with him because like I said he is he's even been a huge part of my healing process Mm. he's a huge part of my purpose he's an amazing father he's an amazing man I never will understand why God put everything that I wanted in a guy 10 years younger. I won't. And especially when he was so, so young. It was just weird. It was so weird. But now it's it's not weird. I mean, he's mm-hmm. 27. I'm 37. And it's, you know, he's really genuinely the best guy I could have ever found. One of your roles is that you're the chief executive officer of the Jenny Rivera estate, correct? Yes. So what does that entail? Because that sounds massive. It is. It's (laughs) massive and I wasn't prepared for it. And you know what Jenny told me in July? She said, hey, sis, I'm writing my my trust. Um, If anything were to happen to me, can you take over JRE? You know, that's what Jenny Rivera Enterprises. And I was like, sure. You know, can you be my trustee? Uh, Sure. And that was it. That was literally the end of the conversation because both of us assumed that she would die at 80. Like we really, really thought Mm. I'm going to be, we're going to be old ladies together. We planned it. Like, what are you going to do when you're 80? We're going to be those cute little ladies that are at the mall. So then she asked me again in October when she changed some things in her will. And she said, okay, and now I'm going to leave you as guardian of the kids. And then I thought about it and I'm like, oh, that's tough. Because that that does carry more weight than no matter what, how much money or how many albums. Like, um... So when she said that, then I, I, I said, sister, but we're good, right? Like, you're not going to die anytime soon. And she's like, no, I just, I'm organizing my life. So her and I never spoke about business. I mm. know, I know the things that she wants with her kids because we always talked about her kids and my kid, but we never talked about business. We made that decision so many years earlier saying, you know what? You have a manager, you have a publicist, you have so many people in the business, but you only have one sister. I just want to be your sister. So mm. let's talk about boys and let's shop and let let you be the normal Che that I call her and not Jenny the diva. So when she passed away and I was in charge of her like 
her music, her royalties, her book, her movie, mm-hmm. her her jean line, her perfume line. And I've never studied business. I it, it just God is so crazy. I didn't want to study business. I didn't want to be in the t- entertainment world. I stopped being a lawyer because my dad told me I had to be an entertainment lawyer. So I said, then I'm leaving it all. No, you're not going to force me to work in this industry. But the love for my sister did. And I said, mm. then I'm going to learn it all. I, I, I'm late and I don't know it all and the whole world knows that I don't know it all to make it like they couldn't just pretend and I'm, I don't pretend but so I had to learn very quickly everything mm-hmm. about music and I have meetings with high executives the number one executive of Telemundo Univision uh, Universal Pantheon Lionsgate I've met with all of them and I'm like I'm just this little girl I'm I'm battling with the little eight-year-old girls Mm. so but I'm not gonna show you and the great thing was was that the battles that I did have with sexual abuse with being with date rape with domestic violence with being a single mom all that prepared me for this Mm. all I had to learn was the numbers all I had to learn was the market once I knew the market the the preparation was already done in a whole different field Mm -hmm. so I said if I got over that Heck yeah, I can meet with the with the CEO of Telemundo. Are you kidding me? What does he got? What is he? What can he say to me that I haven't already learned over here? I am strong. I am smart. I am a woman. I don't need to be a man because in that industry, sometimes it's like because you're a woman, they're like, oh, I'd rather talk to your brother Juan because he's the vice president. I'm like, no, you're gonna talk to me. Right. We have the same answers. There, there's a lot of sexism, and but if they see my strong character that I used to hate because I wanted to be the nice girl, now I have to be tough then that toughness, that strong character is exactly what I needed to be able to carry out this this assignment. So it, it, it all kind of worked out in a way where I could remain humble to know it's not all me and it's not my intelligence and it's not because I studied and, I'm, and I got super amazing grades. It's because life prepared me exactly for this moment. Do you find that it's challenging to run her um, her affairs? Because it constantly brings you into the space where I'm sure, I mean, not that you wouldn't already think about her all the time, but now you're really in her world on a regular basis. All day, every day. Yeah. Um, it becomes very tough because I'm still an individual and I'm learning to love who I am. When you hit your 30s, you're finally comfortable in your own skin and who you are. And it's it's been challenging in that I adore my sister but I don't want to live for her. And she loves me enough to say she, I, she doesn't want me to live for her either. And I love her kids, but I can't live and die for her kids. So it becomes very tricky because people expect that of me. And mm-hmm. that's what the the beautiful thing would be. But no, I know my sister and I know that she still wants me to have my life and she still wants me to live my purpose. So 2013, I would I would breathe and sleep and live and die Jenny Rivera and it was killing the rest of my life and I was miserable because it's a legacy now there's a difference between loving my sister and loving her legacy I could still love her and work her legacy and dream for her legacy and and give my you know normal nine hour ten hour day job to her legacy but not live and die for it. Mm. I'm still an individual. It is okay to love me. It is okay to have my own dreams. So by 2015, I was about to get divorced. Like all I would think about and talk about was money, just to be honest. Mm. And I hate money. Not I don't hate money, but I don't like to live my life based on money. 
so everyone was like that's all you talk about yeah and just thank god for people that were honest with me you know especially her kids and my family to say well all you are is jre now i don't know my tia anymore mm. and i really had that's to check myself to it was because i'm like i'm doing this for you and they're like yeah but you don't need to that's not going to bring me healing my you know other things will bring me healing not necessarily how much money you bring us and i really thought that with money they'd be happy and they weren't and we weren't and money came in and we were still hurting so we really cultivated those relationships again and we do talk about business sometimes but other times we're like nope it's a weekend we're not talking about t-shirts music movies if we're going to talk about jenny it's going to be che and how funny she is and how crazy she is and how much we miss her so it really it became knowing that balance again mm -hmm. and i'm a woman of extremes i don't know if it's i'm still figuring out if it's because of the sexual abuse or because i was wired like that since the beginning so when i started jre i was like at the extremes mm -hmm. and i really have to learn to balance my role as as president as trustee and just my role is Thea and sister. Yeah. And, and because it sounds like you kind of jumped right into JRE and this was such an abrupt passing, did you have, were you able to heal um, from the loss of your sister? Like, no, it was, I really tried to. Yeah. Um, I stopped talking to God for like six months. Mm. I was just really mad at him. And I would like, I did the whole thing, the whole going to church and worshiping and even giving my testimony. I wasn't really preaching. I didn't feel that I could, but I would give my testimony because I still believed that God healed from sexual abuse, mm -hmm. but I couldn't speak about anything else. I was just really broken. And I tried to continue my life as if nothing had changed, but now I'm living with only one arm. Mm. So my life did change because I, I, I had to relearn so many things and I wasn't giving my myself the chance to relearn and I really wasn't giving myself the chance to cry. Mm. I really felt that I had to be strong for everyone else. But then also I was afraid that if I started crying, I'd never stop. So I wouldn't I wouldn't cry. And I just learned to have a time of mourning every day. So I told my husband when I shower, um, put the music really loud and try and keep the kids away. And I would just literally scream in the shower and I would just cry and scream and scream and cry and just tell my husband, don't worry, I'm okay. Just really watch it so my kids and her kids don't hear. But that didn't happen until like 2014. Wow. So that's when I started to heal. When I really let out the pain, when I was, when I really allowed people to see like, you know what, I'm messed up. I'm really not the same. I'm very, very, very sad. And then when I finally start, started talking to God again about how angry I was at him. Um, I knew she had to die eventually, but the way she died really mm. got to me. I didn't understand him, and I really had to go back to just having faith in that. I'm not going to un understand everything he does, but I, I'm going to believe that he's good. So I started healing about 2015, and that was the time that I said, I'm going to go back to being Rosie, mm -hmm. and that's when the book came out because I really felt like there are still people hurting, and I still have a purpose aside from being right. Jenny Rivera's sister. There is still a Rosie, and once I got back into that identity is when my healing started. For sure. What do you miss the most about her? Oh, gosh. The way she loves Mm. I miss like the things like her laugh. She, no one can laugh like Jenny. Like it comes from the depth of her soul. I miss um, her hugs. No one can hug you like her. Like they are just you walk into refuge when you hug her. But I've thought about it so much. When she died, I really felt like no one loved me mm. because her love is so intense and it's so 
real it is it is not like oh i love everything pretty about you it's i see all the mess that you are and i love all of it and we're gonna get through it and she used to be able to scold me and tell me straight out the truth but i knew in that moment she loved me Mm -hmm. you know and and i miss that there's no one else that loves so freely and passionately the way she loved me usually when people love they're a little afraid they're a little guarded they 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 want you to love them back and that's why they love you Jenny's love was so I can't even describe it that I've missed it so so much that for a long time I just felt like people don't love me and I just backed away from everyone from my parents from my husband from my friends I've lost I've pushed away I don't want to say lost I've pushed away so many friends since 2012 Mm. that I I have to regain those friendships now that I'm healed because I'm like no one loves me like her so no one's really worth it it was just it's been really tough but her love and and I think all of us every single person that encountered her and had her love can say that that's amazing and I think that there's you know I I just dealt with my first like abrupt passing this year that my cousin um died and it's just interesting I don't know if interesting is actually the right word it's 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 one of those things where you there's no words to describe what anyone is going through at the time and you don't know how to be there for people right because you don't want to do any say anything cliche and you don't want to sort of um try to trivialize someone's pain and throw some like hallmark phrase at it so I'm really I've been interested in the act of healing and how people can heal and get through it because um I always say that I there are people in my life who if they were to pass tomorrow I don't know how I would breathe the next day right and it sounds like this was one of those people that prior to Jenny's passing like you probably would have thought that that would have been the same for you like her heart stops my heart stops that's what I I would literally tell her that Mm -hmm. I mean the the sexual abuser was her husband and he threatened to kill her so I had feared her death since I was nine Mm -hmm. like I feared more her death than mine it kind of made me feel like if I die it doesn't really matter Mm -hmm. I'll be fine I became kind of like I don't have any fears I I'm not afraid of heights I don't you know I don't have any phobias except Jenny dying like Mm. more than my mom Mm. um now that I have kids I couldn't fathom the thought but aside from my kids it was if Jenny dies I'm gonna go crazy and the thing is is that I told her so now that I think of it I'm like I put this huge weight on her to Mm. live I put this weight on her to live for me and no one should carry that weight but she had it because whenever I was at a funeral I mean I would literally text her and be like don't ever 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 die and she would text back you're at a funeral and I'm like yes and I would be like and the sister is just distraught the sister's not gonna be okay and you know and so she knew and she'd be like sister you know she wouldn't ever make false promises to me Mm. she would just be like we're good you and I will always be good and mm. and that and we are you know yeah. um and she al- she also expressed to me her need for me so it was mutual but it was my biggest fear and it came true mm. and i couldn't mourn it by myself and sometimes i wonder if that's the way it was supposed to be because i really really thought if she ever dies please take me with you mm. and i'm going to throw myself in the coffin and it sounds so crazy but i i remember it vividly we were putting her her casket was going down into the ground and i was just looking at it go down and i was like i'm going to go like i'll go with you i please don't leave me here and mm. uh i was a few months pregnant i think it was like 4 months pregnant at that time and i could hear in back of me her children crying and my mom crying mm. 
So I said, all right, sis, it's not time. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait a little while while I take care of them. Mm -hmm. And, and that's really what it was in the beginning was just once again, pushing myself, um, out of love for someone else. And I knew, and I knew, I knew because I knew that she really wanted her kids to be okay. Mm -hmm. So I thought, this is the way I'm going to love you. Mm -hmm. I can't hug you. I can't hear you. I can't receive anything from you anymore. But you gave me enough. She gave me 31 years of my life of just amazing. So now I thought, I've always wanted to repay you. You gave me so much love. How could I repay you? Mm. By living for her. So now I think like when I had the secrets conference and when I wrote my book and when I'm really helping her kids on real stuff, not money stuff, but like relationship stuff, God stuff, dreams and goals mm. and they're with their kids. I think that's when I'm truly loving her again. Mm -hmm. And those are the moments that I have like, okay, sis, like we just connected from heaven to earth. It was a connection of that sister thing that we have. That's so beautiful. And I feel like that is the unwritten way of um, keeping her legacy alive. Yeah. Because if she was about love, then you being that manifestation of love is such a way of, it may not be in the contracts, yeah. but that is so real in, in honoring her. Exactly. Yeah. And I think when people are mourning, we have to let them mourn the way they want. Mm. I think the biggest issue that my family had was we're so opinionated and strong in our character and we think everything has to be our way that when one brother wanted to do a tribute and the other one wanted to stay quiet they were so opinionated that you're mourning the wrong way and mm. I, I think that's the last thing we could tell someone I mean you you we all go through the healing process and the grieving process in a different way that if so and so's angry dude don't fight their anger they're angry and, and, and the anger is valid, man. You've just been robbed of one of the most important persons of your life. But if this person seems like they're okay and they're in acceptance and you think, oh, it's too soon. Mm. It's not too soon. Not for them. Like let people mourn each other the way that is good for them. So mm. I'm at five years, almost six years of my sister being gone. And, I, and we've gotten to the point where like let them. If dad wants to do a tribute for Jenny and that's going to help him let him and if you know so and so doesn't want to be a part of the tribute because they don't feel peace with it then he doesn't have to be mm -hmm. and i think that if we just prepared for death in that way of saying mourn me the way you want then we'd i think we'd be a better society we really mm. don't prepare for death at all no no oh girl that's another episode in and of itself Seriously. we really really don't and i think that that's why we constantly live in fear of it yeah exactly mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. there are other cultures that don't other cultures that are like, it's going to be good. This is the time you're going to pass on to right. the other and it's going to be great. Right. And us, I don't know if it's a Hispanic thing. I don't know if it's a U.S. thing. I don't know because this is all that I know. But my mother won't won't write a trust for the life of her. She won't buy life insurance. And I'm like, mother, please, if you die, I'm not going to deal with my brothers fighting over this house. Like, please yeah. don't do this to me. But uh, no quiere, like, she doesn't want to buy her land, you know, for her grave because it feels like you're giving up. And it's not. It's just it's preparing Planning. it's pre exactly it's like it's like almost like i'm sure you think about college for your child right and you think about the future because you know that the future is going to come so you're investing in that but oh girl i know i know <laughs> so before we wrap up i you know i know that you also have your own organization 
um, for women um, who have dealt with sexual abuse. So I want to, you know, I want to know about what's going on with your organization, I your love podcast. your research, dude. You're awesome. <laughs> I could just tell you truly, truly research. I love this. Yeah. So my the organization is called Sister Somalia, and it comes again from my sister. Um, my sister calls me Somalia because my name is Rosamelia. So she, it's a horrible name. It's so ugly. I but really she, think that's pretty. Really? Yeah. It sounds like like an 80 year old. I'm like my mom is Rosamelia. Well, one so, day it'll it'll fit. It will. <laughs> right, right. One day they'll say Rosa, and I'll be like, yep, that's me. I'm 80. Um, so she put it together and just put Rosa Melia kind of became Somalia. And she never once called me Rosie. Like, if she called me Rosie, I was in deep crap with her. So mm-hmm. she just used to call me Somalia, Somalia. And she was the only human in this world that called me Somalia. So when, one, when I told her about the sexual abuse, I'll never, ever forget that she held my hand through it all. I, I had to give this detailed graphic report to the policeman who, one, was a male and two, was huge. And I was scared out of my mind. And she was hearing horrible graphic things, but she wouldn't let my hand go. So it was difficult for me, but it was also difficult for her. And yet she's like, I'm not going to let you go this process we're going to do it together and it meant the world to me to have just someone physically and emotionally hold my hand and so our whole life it was it was like we were going to fight sexual abuse and it was going to be us together and every time I preached she just got off the stage at the Staples Center with 17,000 people and I was over here speaking to 200 and she was like I'm so proud of you you are the greatest person I know Mm. because you are changing lives I'm entertaining you're changing them Mm. so she always gave me that support so when she leaves I thought no one's ever going to call me Somalia again. Like it really, it just killed me and no one's going to be with me in this sexual abuse thing. I'm going to, I'm going to do it alone. And so her fans started calling me Somalia. Her kids call me Somalia. You know, Johnny always touches my heart. He's like, hey, Tia Sam, hey, Tia Somalia. Jackie, they call me Somalia Sam, you know. I just got chills. And and it felt so good. So I said, I want to be that sister that holds someone's hand, Mm. whether it's virtually, you know, I I answer so many DMs and emails of girls that have gone through it that I'll never physically hug, but that I give them the word or, you know, um, just people all over the world that we've joined together on WhatsApp groups, on Instagram, on Facebook, and just hear each other out and hold each other's hand and just go through it. So we call each other sister Somalia. And and it seems like it's a Christian thing, and mo- sometimes it is, but other times it's not. Mm-hmm. I mean, there there are boys that are in the group, there are men, there are gay people, there are there are young people, older people, there are just everything, and we're all sister Somalia because we all need that sister to hold our hand as we talk and speak or open up or hide from the sexual abuse. So that's what Sister Somalia became, and it's they really I help them, but I don't think they know how much they really really help me. That's beautiful. I love it. You've definitely, you know, I think it starts from the very beginning. Whenever you're talking about, like, how did you find your purpose? Like, there's no denying and speaking to you that you've absolutely found it. Yeah, that's it. It's it. And I really, I, it surprised me. Yeah. You know, I thought um, I was going to be hidden in an office. In my mind, I'm like, nine to five, go home, nice, normal life. It's simple. It's out of the public eye. And it's absolutely the opposite of what I planned. But I know I was definitely wired for it. And mm-hmm. it, 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 the, I'm so passionate about it that everything else that is kind of annoying, the media and the bad comments and the, you know, people that don't agree with it, including some family members that still get uncomfortable with me talking about it. I, I understand them, but I'm like, but you can't stop me. This is really what I was made for. Absolutely. And on that note, y'all, <laughs> this is Rosie Rivera, who just blessed our lives for the day. 
Thank you so much for joining thank me. Thank you, guys. And, and thank you for having me. And, and let's do it again sometime. Yes, would love that. And the thank podcast you. that you host with your husband where everyone can listen in on your relationship advice is called? The Power of Us. Ooh. The Power of Us is a couple, as a community, as a family. as It's all of us together because sometimes we try and do relationships alone mm -hmm. and then you find out you really just need someone else to bring in that advice that help that prayer that that you know discipline accountability so it is a community of all of us doing life together the power of us i love that Thank we you. need more of that just let's do life together y'all yes that's what, that's what this podcast is all about that's what rosie's all about and we love you and thank you so much for listening see you later bye I just want to say thank you so much to Rosie for your authenticity, your honesty, your vulnerability, and for really letting me, you know, letting me into your space and letting me into your world for an hour so I can hear about your amazing story. And thank you for all of the work that you're doing to help Absolutely. women and, and men who are victims of sexual violence and sexual abuse. I think that that work is really, really important. And it's beautiful how she's uh, managed to really thrive in her life, Absolutely. in her personal life, and in her professional life, even after all these oh man, of things course. That, that have happened to her. And then after her sister's death, just hearing her say all these things about Jenny, right? Yeah, like, it was so ooh. beautiful. It was really, really beautiful. And you can just tell that their bond was so, so strong. So um, I hope we hope that you guys yeah. enjoyed the episode. Uh, please, please, you know, leave us a review on iTunes and definitely, you know, send us your emails at weightholdsuppodcast at gmail.com. For the newsletter. The newsletter is hey. coming. So uh, sign up. Actually, I think by this point, our first one will be out. So uh, if you haven't already signed up, sign up for our newsletter. We've got lots of events coming up. Yes. July 15th. We, if you missed our last Beyonce oh. dance class. Oh, Y'all missed out. Yeah. So July 15th, we have another dance class that we're doing with Word Agency. Um, Zoila from Word, we love you. And so we are going to definitely be dropping more information about that on our Instagram. If you're not already following us on social, we are Wait Holds Up Pod. So definitely. Yeah. Check us out and also follow us on our personal accounts. Yes, for uh, sure. Hey, Jess. Hey, Jess. Mol at Hey, Jess Molina and at uh, Yarel underscore, underscore Ramos. Ramos. God. <laughs> I know her better know. than you. <laughs> and I'm over here like, hey, Jess Molina. I know. Um, awesome. Well, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening, for tuning in. Share the podcast as well with anybody that you think would enjoy it. And uh, yeah, of course, leave us all your love and your good energy on all our social and digital platforms. Yes. Much we love y'all. Bye. Hey, ho!